The end is near. You think you're supposed to repeat after me or not? <laughs> the end is near. can't wear this thing the whole time. It's itchy. You guys proud of my arts and crafts? Believe me, that much Sharpie in my office is not a good thing. I'm ready to interpret the scriptures. Last week, I admitted that in the book of Revelation, while it's fascinating to me, it sometimes has a tendency to intrigue people to attempt to figure it all out, right? The symbolic nature of end times literature, the idea of what is going to happen before Jesus returns, from Bible code theories to certain end of the world times and dates that have so far proven incorrect, we humans have a fascination with all things and times. The threat of a blood moon occurrence, mysterious streaks of light from falling meteors over countries, almost weekly the threat of new wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, an increased acceptance of sinful lifestyles and a continued falling away of God's chosen people. These things and much more seem to continue to point loudly to the reality that the end is near. If we know it, if we believe it, are we just to join together in arts and crafts and make signs? Are we just to join together and standing on the street corner with megaphones in our hands? Are we just to declare to the world that they will surely die? That the end is at hand? Or are we just to be mouthpieces of reality? In almost 2,000 years since much of the New Testament was written, it is interesting to me to note the continuity, the, the ways in which the New Testament authors declared boldly 2,000 years ago almost that the end was near. And here we are. In 2017, reading God's word, declaring again in 2017 that the end is near. And to be honest, there is a part of me that says, is it really? And we've said things in our midst before. We've heard people maybe our whole lives saying clever things from this space that says things like, we are as close as we've ever been to the end of the world. We're, right? I mean, that's the reality. The end, the end really is near in the time frame of life. I was talking to a brother this morning who we both needed a reminder. 
we're not promised the next breath. The end is coming, be it Jesus' return, or be it a heart attack in the Walmart parking lot. The end is near. So do we simply write it on a sign and shout it from the mountains? Or, again, might there be something more? The disciples had an expectation that Jesus' return was imminent. They not only lived their lives personally expectantly of his return. Remember the disciples looking heavenward? When Jesus ascended, they're like, all right, come on. But they lived out their lives, their ministry, with that same expectation. And they taught into early Christianity to live expectantly. Not to live with a a specific time and date or a a collection of here's what must take place and then it's going to happen. But to live discipleship lives, disciples of Jesus Christ with an expectation that he is coming back. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4. A powerful reminder in verses 7 through 19 this morning that I want us to look at and understand some things together as the scripture is revealed to us. Listen as I read. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, and as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler in things. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, would you speak, would you use this passage of scripture to invoke transformation in our lives? Would you realign, Lord, I pray, the reality of us as your hands and feet, of us 
your workers in your field, us, as stewards of your resources, would you realign us to be on task with and for you? Add your blessing, Lord, I pray, to the reading and understanding of your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. So the end is near. So what? The end is near. Truth. Period. Done. Exclamation point. Loud and clear from a megaphone. Stand on the street corner. The end is coming. It is here. It is close. It is at hand. So what? So what? Dig, dig a hole? Hide in the basement? Seven things. Seven things from 1 Peter. A reminder for us. Number one is to keep our heads in the game. Keep your head in the game. The end is near. Keep your head in the game. If you watch sports at all, you see often a coach amidst a very stressful play or a vit, uh, amidst a very stressful uh, period or quarter in the game, a time when things are just spiraling out of control, a coach will do this. What does that mean? Don't you wish you could do that in life? You try it at home, doesn't work. A coach calls a timeout. A coach intentionally calls a timeout, pauses the clock, says, hey, we have got to regroup and get our heads back in this game. A coach oftentimes will bench a specific player who has lost control. They have lost their place in the game. And the coach will say, for right now, you are going to sit out these three plays because you have got to get back in this game. What if... What if we as the church of Jesus Christ in the year 2017 need a reminder? God is calling a time out on us as the church and saying, keep your heads in the game. Regroup. Think about it. Here in, in 1 Peter, we have this uh, alert from Scripture, and it makes sense that there needs to be a time out, that we need to keep our heads in the game, that there's a task at hand. But what I find interesting about this first verse from this morning, verse 7, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. What I find unique about that passage of scripture, that verse of scripture, is that we are being called not to just keep our heads in the game for the sake of the game, but we are being called to keep our heads, to be alert and of sober mind so that we can be on task to pray. This doesn't make a lot of sense to us as American Christians, maybe, because uh, to be on task to pray means to simply ask for things, right? So I need to be alert and of sober mind so that I can ask for the best possible stuff from the gift giver. Friends, this is a reminder to us as Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, that uh, prayer is much more than asking. Amen? Isn't it? incredible to think that God, the author of all things, wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to communicate his will to me. He wants to speak to me. Isn't it incredible? 
And that is what prayer is. That's this reminder that God wants to be in conversation with us. God wants to give us the next play. God wants to lay out for us the plans he has for us in our neck of the woods, in our spheres of influence, in our families, in our community, in our church. God wants to give us his plan. He wants to remind us to stay in the game. Jesus echoes this same necessity to the disciples in Matthew chapter 10. Look on the screen. I'm sending you out, Jesus says, like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils. Be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, Jesus says, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The end is near. Be alert. Be alert. Keep your head in the game. Stay attentive, alert, and of sober mind because God wants to be in conversation with you about what's next. Keep your head in the game. Second, love first. Verse 8 Reminds us again, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. You ever get in trouble, husbands? Never. (laughs) You're in trouble now. You just say never. It's true in our society. It's true in our world. It's true in kingdom-mindedness. Love wins, right? Love, Love changes things. Love fixes wrongs. Love endures forever. The reminder here in this end times reminder is to be on task to love. Does this ever get old? Wasn't that what last week was about? Aren't we just supposed to be loving people? Yeah. Are we getting it right? No. Should we keep preaching about it? Love first. Don't let love be secondary. Don't don't let love be conditional. Don't let love be something we do often. Let's love always. Peter, as does much of the whole uh, of the New Testament, elevate the, the need to love as Christians to the highest priority. Above all, Peter, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, above all, love each other deeply because love does its work. Because love works. Because love proves who we are. Because love points to the creator of love. Because love is irrational. Because love doesn't make sense in its purest form. Because love stands on its own. Love each other deeply. By our love, others will know we are disciples. Should we love only when it's convenient? Should we love only those who love us back? You know the answers. They're rhetorical. We know the truth, and yet we need the reminder. Back in Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22, we are reminded if our enemy is hungry, we are to give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, 
We're heaping burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward us. In loving, we are doing some work. In our act of love, in a world that expects false love, we can transform the world. The power we have been given by God to do the impossible. Third, surrender comfort. Uh oh. Surrender our comfort. Verse 9 offer hospitality to one another without rolling your eyes. Offer hospitality. Make yourself available without doing so and then making a phone call. Without doing so and then talking about how you really feel when the phone call is over. One of my commentaries reminded me this week of how important hospitality was in this culture. Hospitality is what was, was much admired in both the Greco-Roman and Jewish worlds. It was much needed in an era where inns and places of hospitality could be dangerous and unpleasant. This reminder of being open and available and sharing resources is such an important aspect in the life of us as Christians. We are to die to our self-interest, die to our self-will. We are to die to that me, me, me mindset that we are fed since birth by the world around us. We must ask ourselves how we can literally and truly love our neighbors as ourselves. Again, it is a continual reminder that we need as human beings because we are so us-focused. We are so attempting to be comforting to ourselves, to our circles, to our family, to the people we are most in love with. This reminder of surrendering our comforts, of offering hospitality, of giving what is ours to others is not to come from the overflow, right? This is not to be uh, the extra uh, uh, hospitality that we have, that we have an extra room in our house and we find out that uh, something is needed and we say, oh yeah, I've got extra. This, this command from scripture to uh, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling is to say, Give up what's yours already. Surrender your own comforts. Make, make someone else's priority yours. This is not to be when our gas tanks are full and we have extra. This is not to be uh, when the budget allows for it, when we've met all, all of our, our own needs in the moment. This is not to be when it is most convenient for us to not have to give any more. This is sacrifice. And again, this idea, it just slaps us in the face according to what our culture sells us. We're taught since birth to take care of mine. To make my house, my castle, my place safe for my family, for my comfort. I love my leather couch. You can't have it. 
what might God, what might God be asking us as the church of Jesus Christ in 2017? How might we need to be hospitable? What cultural travesty may we be experiencing in our world in the coming months and years? that God has uniquely positioned the church of Jesus Christ to be about, to declare by our actions, by our words, that God loves. Better move. Number four, practice faithful stewardship. It's connected here. Practice faithful stewardship of everything we've been given Verse 10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And then Peter, again inspired by God, says these two things. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. What we have has a purpose. What we have been given, what we have collected, what we have gathered unto ourselves. Do you need this reminder like I do? It's not yours. Oh, again, doesn't that just dig? It is mine and I will have it. My shop, my tools, my kids. My stuff, my time, my energy, my health, my family. We use those terms so quickly and so often that we forget everything we have is not really ours. It's his. To practice faithful stewardship means to live a life like this. It's not mine. The two that sit there, they might look like me and act like me. Thankfully, they look and act more like their mom. But they're gods. When I release them, on school days, do you know how much I want to put a recording device in their pockets? Do you know how much I want to find a way like Jason Gill to get into that school, infiltrate that place, keep tabs on them, make sure that they're still the loving two kids that I watch go into that door, make sure they're safe. Same goes with everything I've been given. I, I like my stuff. I like my comforts. I like the things that I have been blessed with. I love our home and how we've made it into our home. I need constantly reminded, reminded that what I have, it's not about me. It's not about mine. First four, works, first four words of Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, there's four, first four words. It's not about you. I was given that book when I was 21 years old when everything was about me. I knew everything. 
I knew everything about ministry. I knew everything about life. I knew everything. I was the 21-year-old genius. Isn't it funny how four words on the first page of a book can write 21 years of bias? So if it's not about me, if it's truly about others, what must I do today to change my culturally influenced, ingrained mindset? How can I practice faithful stewardship of what I've already been given? That's the question we must ask. Instead of asking the question or, or, or declaring, this is what we do in the church. We say, if, if I just had a little bit more, then I'd use it for kingdom stuff. If I could just win that scratch off. You're laughing nervously. I'll give 11%, right? If I could just, if I could just have more time, I would give it to the church. If I could just have more resources, I would give it to the kingdom. If I just had a bass boat, I'd give it to the Lord and all the fish. Could feed everyone a kid blast meal. What have we been given now? That God is asking us to faithfully ask the question and to listen to the answer when the question is answered by God. When a pastor comes up here during announcements and says, You guys want to be generous? What do we do? <laughs> no. Not yet. It's Christmas time. I'm going to be generous to my kids. They're going to have the bestest trampoline ever. That's what we're thinking about buying this trampoline. First thing we do as human beings when we're asked to possibly consider, we read into those kinds of words, we read into that kind of announcement, that kind of an idea, and we're instantly skeptical, like, oh, Oh, I have so much going on. I, I just I can't. What if God, that is genuinely our ask. That's genuinely our ask about faithfully stewarding your resources to God's kingdom. As a church, as a pastor, I, I hope you hear the genuine sincerity there. That if God places on us if he instills in you a, a, a task that he's asking you to do, do you remember how, you don't remember, you don't know how petrified I was a couple years ago when I stood up here and said, in eight weeks, I believe the Lord wants us to raise $30,000. I was sick that morning. $30,000 to totally renovate that kid's space, get rid of a hallway, put in new doors, uh, put a cool system, sound system and video system in there and change the look of that to invest in our kids. I was petrified. Pastor Bob and I, when I told him that, it was, I, that I felt like we needed to do this in eight weeks, he's like, you do that. <laughs> he was petrified for me. As a mentor uh, to, to me, he was like, if this bombs, what's it going to do to Stephen? And we were faithful, friends. From the youngest among us to the oldest some of you are continuing to be faithful in that way and diligently giving to a building fund. You see something going on here at Hyde Wesleyan Church. You are faithfully stewarding your current resources. Thank you. We have faithfully steward, stewarded $67,000 in pennies. 
some nickels and dimes and dollars and 20s in there. In 10 plus years to a, an orphanage in Swaziland, what a church. What a practice of faithfully stewarding. And God wants us to do it more and more. Number five. Expect a test of faith. Verse 12. Friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. You ever overreact? No personal stories. Too dangerous. You quick to judge? Confession? Me too. There are times... I say something in haste, I act in haste, and I go, why can't I go fix that now? The end is near. Disciples of Jesus Christ are not the ones who should be surprised when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ are raised. And when Jesus raptures his church. Disciples of Jesus Christ should not be the ones who are surprised when lawsuits are thrown upon religious nonprofits, when tax exempt status is removed from churches, when Christian bakers are threatened with lawsuits. We don't need to stand with our mouths dropped, our jaws dropped, wondering where did this come from. We don't need to say, I can't believe we're here. It's been told to us our whole lives if we've looked at Scripture. It's been promised to us that things will get bad before they get great. We need to expect the fiery ordeal that we will face. It is happening, it is here. The end is here. We don't need to overreact. We need to expect the test of our faith, expect persecution in our lives, expect to be marginalized and cast to the side, expect to experience difficulty. You've heard it said, we've said it before, that the, uh, the, the, the best offense is a good, good defense. We as Christians, as disciples, part of our investment in being a part of the church of Jesus Christ is that we need to grow together. We need to continue to get calloused for the things that are to come, to better prepare to face the coming difficulties of this life. If we simply wait and see what happens, we will be surprised every time. We can take stock now. We can take note. We can focus on the pending issues that we will be facing in the future and prepare in advance for how to best respond. Number six, acknowledge the hidden blessings. Look at the verses 
Again, a little bit, verses 13 and 14. Rejoice. God's word says, Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Praise God that you bear that name. You agree with me that this is tough? We're Band-Aid people, right? We've said this before. The oven is hot. What do we do? Don't touch it. The skin is cut. What do we do? We Band-Aid it. Wait for it to heal. The back is sore. We take a break. Human beings, we know when things hurt, stop doing those things. If you are one of the people that continues to do things that cause you pain, we suggest counseling, right? We don't like pain. We don't like hurts. We don't like, ouch. And so we do whatever we can as human beings to get away from that. It's a natural instinct. And again, this passage of Scripture, as we talk about the end, it tells us, it reminds us, and it falls so flat on us in the comforts of who we are as American Christians. We have got to strive to understand that we are part of a network of believers within the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We have got to understand the reality, brothers and sisters, that right now we have brothers and sisters in far-off places that are easily forgotten, skipped over, ignored. There are men and women, boys and girls, laying down their lives. Maybe their actual life. Willing to give it up for the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe we connect with it a little bit more when we say they are willing to give up their children's lives. Can you, can you imagine? We, we can't. We, we, we can't find the reality of that kind of a scenario because we've never experienced it. But brothers and sisters around our world right now are experiencing that reality. And they acknowledge that they're blessed. In their suffering, in their persecution, in the possibility of losing everything they have, they are counted as blessed. What hidden blessing may exist for you? For me, for surrendering a Sunday morning, for being that guy, for being that gal that leaves work every Sunday morning to come and worship with his family. Who knows what's said by others? Who knows what tasks are added 
by others because of that built-in possibility of a perk. What hidden blessing may exist in the persecution we will and we do face here in some way. We are called blessed if we suffer for Christ. We are to be overjoyed, the scripture says, as we face opposition. I pray that the Lord would empower each of us to acknowledge those hidden blessings amidst whatever we experience in our valleys of life. Paul wrote this to the church at Thessalonica. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In every circumstance, in every valley, in every suffering, in every persecution, in every hurt, in every opposition, in every difficulty, Rejoice. Finally, number seven, from verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do... Did you fall asleep? To continue to do good. Keep on keeping on. There have been a number of people in my life that have signed letters and emails with that simple phrase, keep on keeping on, keep on keeping on. This is more than just roll with the punches or go with the flow. Peter is challenging us as Christians to commit ourselves to make efforts to continue to do good, to be about doing good, to be about loving others, to look for the opportunities, to make the effort to go out of our way. As the end draws near, we must commit together to say, the end is near, I've got work to do. The end is near. I will be on task. Even amidst suffering, I will keep on loving. Even when I'm persecuted, I will keep doing good. Even when I lose my freedoms, I will continue to do good. Even when others don't deserve my good, I will do good. Even when the good I do has no return, I will do good. The end is is near. Don't give up. The end is near. Keep on keeping on. The end is near. Look forward. The end is near. It's a fact. We are closer right now to the end of all things and a new beginning than we have ever been. True. Jesus is returning. How's it going to look? Let's talk about that. When's it going to happen? Don't try to figure that out. Do we have work to do while we wait? You betcha. Would you stand? things are awesome. The end is near.
Christian, Christian, don't despair. Stay on task. Look around you right now. Go ahead. Look around this room and realize this is the winning team. Surrendered, fully, devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we are the winning team. The end is going to be ugly. There's going to be heartache and brokenness continually until it is all made new by the one who sits on his throne. Don't do it physically because it's kind of weird. But lock arms together. Don't go at this end times thing alone. You've got a team. We need each other. And we've got work to do. Let's pray. Jesus, would you give us the strength and the power to be on task, to do your work? Would you keep us alert, sober? Would you help us keep our heads in the game? Would you help us to love, not when it's convenient? Help us to love first. Help us to be willing to die to ourselves continually to let go of our own comforts. Remind us of all that we have being yours. Help us not to be surprised when persecution comes our way, when we are tested in our faith. Help us to build up our calluses as disciples and to be ready. Father, when we are persecuted, may we acknowledge the hidden blessings there the privilege of being called joint heirs with Christ. Would that overwhelm us again this morning? And Lord, as whatever amount of time continues to pass, would you give us the strength to keep on keeping on, to stay on task, to continue to look for opportunities to be your hands and feet, to respond to your ask, your call, your commands. And in all of these things, Lord, we pray for more of your spirit. We pray for your leading, your guidance, your, your will to be made known in our lives. And Lord, we will give you all of the praise continually forever. We pray and ask all of this in the powerful, most powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.